Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. I'm your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, the one, the only, Garrett Figpin. And Garrett, boy, do we have quite a lot to talk about today, and Happy New Year to you, by the way. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, I hope you have a great 2024. Um, and yeah, lots to talk about, obviously, playoff games last night. Um, some, uh, some big news in the transfer portal. Uh, yeah, lots to, uh, lots to get to. I'm, uh, I'm ready for it. Okay. Well, I'm ready for it as well. So let's just jump right in, ladies and gentlemen. Now I know folks, uh, stay tuned. We will be diving into the college football playoff games, but before we do that, we've got to get through some news items, well, some gut reaction, and then we got to take a look at uh, some of the other bowl games that happened then. We'll get to the news. I'm just letting you know. I'm just managing your expectations. And we'll start with this one. Cam Ward. He was the highly touted transfer target for the likes of Miami, Florida State, Ohio State. And everyone everyone was making their opinions known. And he was a guy that a lot talked about of getting a big payday in the NIL deals. We're talking in the realm of $1 to $2 million. I heard as, I heard it go as high as that. I don't know if those are reliable sources or whatnot, but he was highly sought after, the point is. And at the end of the day, Cam Ward, he declared for the NFL draft. Said, nope, I'm not doing any of this. I'm going. He announced it in a video that he had posted. And yeah, Cam Ward off to the NFL. And Garrett, I don't know about you, but this move really surprised me. I mean, I thought Cam personally could have used some more development time in the college ranks. And he's a got a great arm. He's got good good instincts with his legs. He's definitely an NFL talent. But I think his draft stock could have been helped if he had stayed another year, maybe gone to one of those listed schools. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I everything I heard leading up to it was talking about the transfer. No one was even mentioning the draft, so it was kind of yeah, it came as a shock. But I mean, I guess he talked to the schools. Um, I'm sure his agents and scouts gave him advice on you know where he could potentially go and he decided that it was worth it to go ahead and jump now again it seems weird because this is seems like a really loaded quarterback class compared to the last few years so um i mean everything i've been reading since then has said you know he's barely not even maybe not even a top 10 quarterback in the draft right now Mm. um so i i don't know where he's gonna go I don't think anyone had him going in the first three rounds. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, to me, it seems like it would make more sense for him to come back for another year. But right, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe he heard otherwise. I guess we'll have to find out. But, yeah, definitely a surprising move. Surprising move indeed. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he falls into the NFL draft and what team wants to take a chance on a, a pretty raw prospect talent so keep an eye on him folks we'll see where cam ward goes to the next level but speaking of cam ward one of his competition ex oregon state quarterback dj uyunglele he scoot he jumped into one of those schools that was interested in cam ward and it, he has become a florida state seminal so garrett what do you think of uh, dj he's going back to the acc yeah pretty exciting um get to see a matchup against Clemson next year. Um, the rivalry. I think that, yeah, it'll, uh, that'll be a big game. I don't know 
Um, I'm expecting both schools to be back uh, pretty strong. I mean, Florida State's been losing a lot of players to the draft. We'll see how they reload. But um, I think with, uh, you know, DJ left Clemson in a pretty, uh, I don't know, people had a pretty poor perception of him. Things didn't really go well. That's uh, what led to him leaving. And But I think he found uh, his rhythm in, in Oregon State. He kind of, his, his passing struggles in Clemson, I think he fixed a lot of those. And, you know, he's still not a guy who you want to go out there and be throwing. He's not going to be throwing for 300 yards a game, probably. But um, I think he's improved a lot in his time at Oregon State. And uh, I feel more confident now after that year that he can come back and, you know, lead a team to that has playoff hopes. So I, I like the move. Um, I think it's a good fit. It'll be exciting to see the Clemson game, obviously. Right. And, um, you know, I think Norvell's a great coach for him. And, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what this does to the Florida State offense, too. Florida State was seemingly a little bit more shotgun-oriented. And that's not to say that Uyunglele can't go back into the shotgun but he was in more of a pro style eye formation ground and pound play action offense at Oregon State and that's one of the reasons he went there was he wanted to be in more of a pro style system to prepare for the next level and now he's going to be going back to a little bit more of a spread that's not to say that Florida State can't sometimes come out in more of a 12 formation package as opposed to an 11 and focus more on the run because they do have weapons in the running game. I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like next year, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how Uyunglele fits into that and if he's able to transition back into more being shotgun focused. So uh, there's the movement there with Uyunglele. And seeing as we're on the topic of Florida State, Garrett, I mean, we have to talk about this. Georgia and Florida State, they played in the Orange Bowl, and, well, we knew that it was going to be probably a tough matchup for Florida State as they had over 20 star players opt out of playing in the game. A lot of those guys are going to the NFL, so it made sense. But some of them, frankly, probably just opted out because they were ticked off and wanted to stick it to the NCAA. And, um, yeah, the res- I'll just let the results speak for itself. Georgia won 63 63- to three i mean tcu 2.0 you and i talked about that with the playoff committee and right we saw it yeah i you know i don't in general i don't put too much stock into bowl results especially nowadays with how many players are opting out and you know coaches are leaving just it's not the same team that competed all season right uh the motivation's not there um you know, when this bowl was announced, everyone was obviously excited because it was like, all right, this is the perfect opportunity for Florida State to to prove the doubters wrong going right. against Georgia, who I think most people would say is a, a top four team. Um, and, and yeah, it's unfortunate that so many players opted out. Uh, I don't think any team in the country was hurt more by opt outs than Florida State. I right. mean, pretty much every every player who's going to get drafted sat. Um, you know, they were basically playing second and third stringers the entire game. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't blame any individual player for opting out it. You know, they have a decision to make 
these game these bowl games at the end of the day, you know, they were shooting for the playoffs and they feel like they got snubbed and obviously, so obviously this orange bowl is not going to matter that much to them and they have their futures to worry about. Um, so, you know, I don't want to blame any individual player for opting out, but, uh, it is obviously really disappointing that we don't get this matchup because Georgia, uh, you know, they were all in, I don't think they had, if they did have an official opt out, it might've been two or three at the most, but, mm-hmm. um, pretty much everyone who could suit up for them did. And, you know, it showed in the results. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't put too much stock into it in terms of, you know, whether Florida State deserved to be in or not, because obviously no, they, it was not the same team that was playing in this game. But um, it's embarrassing nonetheless, and it's not going to prevent people from flaunting that 63-3 to score for them anytime they complain, which with how much they've been complaining, I don't, I don't really mind. I think it's funny. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's just disappointing we didn't get to see a, a better matchup uh, right. with a motivated Florida State the same way that Georgia did but it is what it is yeah and I'm inclined to agree with you when it comes to a player sitting out like I'm I'm one of the major proponents of hey look they you've earned your keep at the college level you're going to be drafted to the NFL that's what every kid dreams about and you're going to have a chance to be financially compensated at the next level and we've seen horror stories like Notre Dame's Jalen Smith blowing his knee out in Ohio Mm -hmm. against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl and his draft stock plummeted big time because of it. And ultimately, it probably shortened his career because he did recover and he did still have a successful career and a successful run. But you you wonder, number one, how long he would have been playing. And, you know, number two, how high would he have been drafted were that injury to not happen? So he he's an example that jumps to mind as to why a lot of these guys say, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to risk myself going into this game that in hindsight doesn't really mean anything i get it that, right that being said like uh to your point about the amount of complaining that's come out of the florida state side both from fans players and coaches i feel like this could have been a rallying cry to where they all could have come together and said no we're gonna suit up and we are gonna go take it to georgia and show the both the committee and the college football world why you messed up in leaving us out i just think that was a missed opportunity there i i think that would have been a story for the ages if florida state rallied as a team and everybody came together and played and they won and they beat a really good top four arguably a top four georgia team i i think that would have been the story that should have and would have been an amazing story if it was written but ultimately, this is what we're left with. It is what it is, like you said. I get it. But uh, I I just think that would have been such an incredible send-off and such an incredible message to the committee if they had responded in that way. But they didn't, and this is what we're left with. A stinking reminder of 63-3. to And ultimately, yeah, I, it, it makes me wonder, too, what this, you know, I guess what this team would have done in the college football playoff, because obviously the guys wouldn't have opted out and we would have gotten right. a more full strength Florida state team, obviously without Jordan Travis. Um, but yeah, I will never know at the end of the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit, uh, it's, it's funny because this, this game, um, they mentioned on the broadcast, this is the biggest bowl game blowout of all time. 
mm-hmm. in any bowl game ever was the 63 to three. Right. And the previous record was from last year when Georgia beat TCU in the championship <laughs> game by 58 points. Gee. And so, you know, obviously this Florida state team, people were talking about TCU hurting their chances, getting in and, uh, people caring about setting up these bowl games. It's just funny that, uh, you know, that was the record for biggest blowout. And then <laughs> they went out and got beat by 60. Uh, <laughs> I just think that's funny to have those two records side by side as the oh, two biggest blowouts. Goodness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know, they want to talk about how they would have done a better job in the bowl games as opposed to Alabama and Texas. But uh, I just don't think it's the case. And I, I've said many times with Jordan Travis, I think they have a chance. I loved Florida State. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I, my, my opinions after before and after these bowl games doesn't it does not change my opinion in, in the slightest on uh, who should have or should have been in. Right, right. No, I'm I'm with you. And to your point about them saying they could have done a better job kind of thing. And I don't I don't know if that was that was the players. It was mostly the fans that we've heard say stuff like that. Well, Florida mm-hmm. State had the opportunity to show that. And they didn't. You know who did show it? Georgia. Yeah. Georgia came out yep. almost full strength and said, yeah, here, here we are. And just annihilated the Florida State team. And obviously, like you said, second stringers, third stringers. And just watching the highlights of that game, it definitely looked like second and third stringers. I mean, there's just a, a clear disadvantage when it came to yeah, how it was not. It was like I, IMG Academy versus uh, what? What was that exactly. school? Uh, B- Bishop, Bishop Sycamore. Sycamore. Yeah, Bishop Sycamore. There's a story for another time. That's exactly what it looked like <laughs> at the college level. So, shout out to those uh, backups who suited up and went out there for Florida State. But that that was tough. So there you go. Um, seeing as we're on the topic of Florida State, here's here's an interesting. Uh, article that I had pulled up from Yahoo Sports. It says, if Florida State and other colleges' stars are getting paid, they should have to play in bowl games. Garrett, what's your gut reaction to that? I don't think that that... I mean, at the end of the day, you can't force anyone to do that. Uh, I mean, unless you're doing... Unless you structure it ahead of time to say, we're not paying it out till the, you know, we're not paying you any NIL money till the end of the season. And that's a stipulation that you have to play in a bowl game. I mean, uh, unless you do that, I don't see how you can enforce that. And I just, I highly doubt any school's going to go to that because that's going to severely hurt their chances right. uh, to put something in like that. If they're actually wanting to land transfers and recruits. Um, and also there's probably some, I don't know. I, there's going to be so many loopholes. Like a player's just going to say, Oh, I don't, my, my hamstring hurts. I can't play the bowl game or something like that. I don't know, but right. I feel like that would just be hard to enforce and it would be the players wouldn't go for it. Um, I saw some people talking about how the only way you could really enforce that or have any kind of structure uh, on the incentives on being paid is if somehow it got um, like paying players became more uh, uh, like formalized and you had like a players association, like a union style uh, where they were able to, you know, lobby for certain what can and can't be in the contracts um, right unless you can get something set up like that you're probably not going to see stipulations like that in them so um yeah I just, I just you know it's a nice idea 
um, that, you know, oh, we are, we're getting paid um, to, to play out our full season. We're going to do that. And everyone's going to, you know, commit to bowl games like Georgia did. But I, I don't see how you can enforce that. I just don't see that being realistic until um, the structure of the system changes down the line. But maybe maybe eventually it will. But I, it, in the near future, I don't really see that being a possibility. Right. Uh, to me, it, it, here's the so the article brings up points about uh, something like this. If a player has to either play in a bowl game or write a $200,000 NIL refund check to opt out of the bowl, there isn't, isn't he more likely to play in the game? And to me, I bet, well, yeah, obviously he's probably more likely to play in the game. Of course, it depends on the players, you know, what he's making with the NIL refund check or with the check and whatnot uh, leading up throughout the season, what he's making. Uh, how high caliber of a player, what endo- other endorsement deals he's getting, that that would play into effect too. But yeah, it, you know, he probably would be more likely to play. But I just don't know, to your point, how they're going to enforce something like that. To me, the more interesting idea would be the transfer portal and the coaching carousel can't basically can only take place after the college football championship game. To me, that's more of an idea where, you know, you're still probably not going to get the full strength of a lot of teams in the bowl games. There will still probably be opt-outs. There will still be guys declaring Mm -hmm. for the draft. But you would still probably be getting teams closer to, like, Oregon or Georgia where most of the guys are showing up on the team Ohio State, they would still right. have uh, their uh, they would still have their quarterback under center. Um, we would still get close to the finished product. To me, that seems like more of a simple solution and one that they could. It would also seem fair to the players and the coaches because hey, they can only make those moves after the season comes to a conclusion. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that's. Uh, I think that's a pretty. That's a much more realistic. Um, you know, something that could actually be applied pretty soon and wouldn't be that hard to enforce. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the main argument against uh, or for why transfer portal period is happening now as opposed to after the season. And people were saying it's because of the way uh, it was simply just because of like the school system. And if someone's transferring schools, they have to, they need to do it ahead of time so they can register. Mm. Um, I don't, but I don't, I mean, to me, like, there's players still entering the portal now, right? Um, who just finished their bowl games. So, uh, and just to mention one, Caden Salter, uh, quarterback for Liberty. Oh, uh, he announced this afternoon he's entering the transfer portal. Oregon um, beat him so badly that he was just like, "Nope, I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but yes. So, um, I mean, and then I'm sure. I haven't seen anything specific, but I'm sure there's going to be, uh, you know, Alabama or Texas players entering the portal as well. So, you know, it, it's definitely, you know, there's players still entering. It's definitely possible for everyone to wait until after their season's over to enter the portal. So if it can work for them, I would assume it can work for everyone else if they had to. And I mean, let's not pretend like, you know, them enrolling in their classes in a timely manner is what everyone's concerned about. You right, know? right. So I, I, to me, that's, I think that's not a very good excuse. And there may be other reasons for it, but to me, if, if players like Salter and I'm sure many others are entering the portal now, once everyone's played their bowl games, uh, I don't see why that's not enforceable for everyone else. It's, it's more of a convenience thing. I'm sure. 
uh, coaches want to get ahead of the ball. Um, they want to get onto the the recruiting trail immediately as soon as I can. But um, I, I don't think it's going to kill anyone to to wait an extra three or four weeks to to officially enter. So I, I think that makes sense. Right. Well, and we're going to have to wait and see what the NCAA does because I I just think that it ultimately destroyed bowl season and bowl season has already been on the decline for some time we've Mm -hmm. we've seen just kind of a stagnation of the product in general when it comes to we have way too many bowls in my opinion 41 bowl games i I, yes i'll probably i would probably honestly watch all of them (laughs) just for background noise and it's it's football i get it but at the end of the day hardly anybody's showing up to these bowl games i mean uh, I, I saw part of the Iowa-Tennessee game, and there was 43,000 people in that stadium, which honestly, given some of the other bowl games, is pretty impressive. But still, it was kind of a major yeah. a major bowl game between an SEC school and a Big Ten school, and f- barely even half full. So it, we already have a diminishing product there. The transfer portal made it even worse. So the NCAA, if they want to keep their advertising partners happy, they're going to have to move quickly. And we're going to see what they come up with in the coming years, probably as soon as next season, if if they want to keep that money pumping in and undisturbed, which we all know the NCAA does not want to see that hurt. So there you go. Of course, of course. Garrett, after that Washington and Texas game last night where Michael Penix just went off, he had a fantastic game. What do you say to someone who says Michael Penix should have been the Heisman Trophy winner over your Mr. Daniels? I would say I understand. Uh, I, I mean, Penix looked incredible last night. Amazing game. One of the best playoff performances we've seen. But it has absolutely no bearing on the play on the Heisman race. You know, that the Heisman was awarded before these games. These games don't contribute to it. So, mm. you know, my opinion before then was not changed at all by the games, the the playoff games. I, I did mm. hear a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about that. They they thought this was like, oh, see, he should have won it. Well. This game didn't happen before the award was given out, so it doesn't count. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get that argument. But I mean, he, I mean, he was very close. He was second. A lot of people yeah, did think he yeah. was the Heisman winner beforehand. But uh, I mean, personally, I thought Daniel still deserved it ahead of him when the award was given and voted on. So uh, my opinion on that is not changed. I don't, dis- I don't, you know, I think if anyone deserved it, Daniels, it would have been Michael Penix. Right, he had a great season. Uh, but, but my opinion, personally is not changed. I, I, I still think Jay Daniels should have won it. No buyer's remorse from Garrett. And I'm inclined to agree actually, <laughs> because uh, you know, I, I thought back to the Huskies throughout the regular season and you and I talked about how rec- regularly they looked kind of mediocre and there were numerous games right. where Mr. Penix just kind of faded to the background and had kind of a forgettable game. Jaden Daniels could not do that. Otherwise, they would have lost more games than they already did. And, right. he, you know, he he put up just superstar numbers on a week-in, week-out basis. And on top of that, you could argue that it was a more meaningful basis because in a lot of those games, if he didn't produce the way he was, there was a chance they would lose that game. So, to me, yeah, he had to do it in crunch time on top of the fact that he was putting up those gaudy numbers. And ultimately... It's a regular season award. That's why Mr. Daniels should keep that award. So, but the, exactly. don't get me wrong. And, as, uh, I, as I was watching the game, I, I understood some of their points. Oh yeah, no, he looked he looked amazing, and uh, you know he's probably going to go. He's kind of he, 
I mean, I don't know. They're probably pretty closely ranked right now, but he'll probably go ahead of Daniels in the draft. So, I mean, mm-hmm. people, you know, people love Michael Penix. I love Michael Penix. I think he's an incredible player. Um, but like you said, it's a regular season award. I'm sure Jaden Daniels would love to trade places with Michael Penix. He'll let, he would let Michael Penix have the Heisman if right. he, if him and LSU were in the championship game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't think Michael Penix is going to be too upset if they win at all. I think he'll be happy with the season. So, right. Uh, but yeah, it's a regular season award. And I think Daniels had the better regular season. So, yeah, but that's my opinion on it. What the heck was the, with this Garrett at the Michigan game or the Rose bowl? Connor stallions was in the stands. Can we talk about that for a second? Like what, if you're, I don't, yeah. it's, it's like you and I don't know, yeah. did Michigan, we don't know if Michigan invited him personally. I doubt they did given circumstances, but if, if you're higher up in Michigan and you see that guy there, you already have enough to worry about, you know, with trying to win a championship game, Jim Harbaugh potentially leaving for the NFL because of these NCAA allegations, they already have enough to deal with. Why the heck yeah. would they advertise this guy being at the game? Yeah, it's just I I don't know. And like yeah, like you said, we don't I don't I doubt Michigan had anything to do with it. Right. But he I think he probably just uh either came on his own or he knew some of the guys like maybe some staffers or you know, he was the guy who took the photo and posted on Instagram was Chase Winovich, a former Michigan guy. Maybe someone like him who was invited down there, uh just brought him along because he thought it'd be funny. Uh Jeez. but yeah, if you if you're Michigan, you're I mean you know, they've been asking questions about it all was, you know, he's obviously not trying to talk about it at all. He's dodging every question. It's like, you know, can't talk about it. They, he looks, they asked him when him and Saban were up there, they asked Saban about the cheating and if it affected them going into the game. And I've never seen Harbaugh look more uncomfortable having to sit up there and listen to that. So <laughs> they, they do not want this attention. You know, their whole thing is how much, you know, how they fought through adversity all season and they've had to deal with so much. Well, there's the source of all their problems, all their, all the negative attention, the suspensions, um, in the everyone, stands, uh, all, all the, it's sitting right in the stands <laughs> behind them. He just showed up like that's the source of all your problems right there. All the adversity you talk about this season. He, he just showed up and sat right there wearing a Michigan hoodie. So he was I'm probably sure sending probably it to Bama. Love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, not a good look. Um, you know, I'm not going to put it on the, any of the, you know, the team per se, you know, right, like, like right. I said, I don't think they had anything to do with it, but, uh, I'm sure that they weren't, uh, they weren't happy about that. Cause it's just bringing more attention to a topic that at this point they would love to, uh, you know, that's the last thing they want people to be talking about is a cheating, uh, right after they win the title. So right. yeah, they not a good look for them, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, I, I don't know who, who was responsible for that but um not a great look no not at all and you know what else wasn't a great look or actually was a great look how about these playoff games can we just you and me take a victory lap here to say that the committee got it totally right by leaving fsu out yes (laughs) i i mean we talked about a little bit earlier uh the bowl games the 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 non-playoff bowl games like the Florida State one, that doesn't have any, I, I, that would have no bearing on, you know, oh, they should have been, oh, Georgia should have been in, well, right, blah, right. blah, blah. But the playoff games, I mean, they were incredible games. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were so tight down to the wire, both, both of them. And 
I think that they, it, it's exactly what everyone wanted. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think Bama did enough to prove that they belonged. And, um, uh, I just don't think that it changes nothing from those games, uh, changes how I view the selection and who should have been in. Right. I don't think, I mean, if the only thing that could have happened is if, uh, Alabama or Texas got completely routed and embarrassed. Mm. Um, but you know, that didn't happen. And even then, you know, it's, it's, you can't look at it with hindsight because that's, you, you just have to look at what, with what you're given at the time. So, you know, right. it's gen in general, I don't think it should impact whether or not you think that they should have, should or should have, or shouldn't have gotten them right. But if you're looking at this, uh, I've seen a lot of fans, you know, Florida state fans, obviously looking at, Bama and Washington or Bama and Texas both losing and saying, Oh, of course the one lost teams that got in ahead of us, they lost. They didn't deserve to be there. Uh, Jalen Milrow only threw for 111 yards or whatever. He, yeah, they didn't have a quarterback either. Like we right. could have done that. And I think, <laughs> you know, looking at things that way is just, it's ridiculous. Um, right. But to, to your point, Brock Glenn, he was nine of 26. So I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Right. Yeah, he threw. Uh, everyone's talking about, oh, our quarterback threw for more passing yards against an our bowl game. It's like you put up three points and gave up <laughs> sixty. You should have thrown for four hundred yards. You were down so much and you had to chuck at everything, but you couldn't. You couldn't right. complete a pass. Uh, you threw two picks, negative rushing yards. Where Milrow, in multiple uh, instances, and we, we'll talk about it later when we talk about the games, bailed them out with amazing scrambles in, in crunch time when they needed it. Right. Uh, to compare the two, and, and they're going against, uh, you know, against Michigan, um, who arguably has a better defense than Georgia. So right. it, it's just it's just dumb to compare the two, um, and trying to say that this was any reason that uh, Alabama shouldn't have been there is just it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And therein my and therein lies my frustration with Florida State is if they would have put on an epic show against Georgia. And then, you know, then they could have pointed to those one loss teams and said, look, we just beat Georgia. We we finished perfect and we're getting left out and we put on this amazing show. And those one loss teams you put ahead of us, you know, this is what they do. Then I would have been more right. apt to second guess and be like, oh, man, it, should Florida State have gone in and, and, and prove the world wrong? But nonetheless, they left us with that. Stinker of a game, sixty-three to three instead. So to me, their arguments fall on deaf ears. I'm I'm done with you, Florida State. Moving on. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, before we get to the games that everyone wants us to talk about, let's talk about the games that they don't want us to talk about. Uh, I like it. <laughs> that's how to keep the audience happy. Uh, Garrett, we got to talk about the Pop Tarts Bowl. I mean, what? What happened oh. to NC State? Tech Kansas State gets the win, twenty-eight to nineteen. They get to cannibalize that pop tart. Well, I'll say this about the pop tarts bowl. Uh, I think it got the most attention on social media and online mm-hmm. of all the bowl games, just because of the branding and the yeah. way that pop tarts. I mean, they they did a bowl game right. That that right. is a bowl game where pop tarts made their money back. Like that was a great return on investment for them. Definitely. They, everyone was talking about. Uh, that bowl game and just the, you know, not the game itself necessarily, but um, <laughs> the at, the fun atmosphere of it. And right. so, yeah, they did a really good job marketing with that one. Uh, as far as the game goes, uh, obviously, you know, 
as an NC State fan, I would have liked to see them go out on a win. Um, we had a few opt-outs, some transfers. Right. Uh, but for the, you know, our probably our best player, Peyton Wilson, was out on defense. Um, and then a few key defensive players were transferring. So our defense was just, it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas State was missing um, Will Howard at quarterback, but their backup came in and he played really, really well. Um, I think they're going to be pretty happy with him going into next year. He played, he, he just, his running ability was off the charts. Uh, we right. couldn't contain him. So, um, yeah, Kansas, uh, Kansas state looked pretty, pretty solid. And, um, you know, I, I don't put a lot of stock in bowl games. It would have been nice. Um, you know, as far as the game goes, I, it doesn't put any, I don't put any weight into them. Right. Uh, but you know, they count when you start when you talk in college football, when you talk about, you know, uh, a season, everyone talks, you, you include the bowl game in terms of like talking about a nine win, 10 win season. And NC state has not had a 10 win season in a very, very long time. Uh, um, let me just double check how long it's been uh, since we've had a 10 win season uh, It has been, let me see since 2002, since we've had a 10 win season. And we've had multiple chances over the last few years to get to that mark. In mm-hmm. 2021, we had nine, and we were going to play UCLA in a bowl game, in a game that we were very confident we would win. And then UCLA, this was like a year after COVID, and uh, UCLA backed out and said they didn't want to play. So we didn't get to play it, uh, which sucked. Cowards. So we were really looking for that. We were really looking for that 10-win season, and we didn't get it. So that was disappointing. But yeah, entertaining yeah. game nonetheless. Yeah, entertaining and again, great marketing. That that pop tart yep. mascot, that was well done. Gotta say it. Especially the show they put on with him sinking into the toaster and then out came the oh. edible version. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And then, you know, him rising out of the toaster to kick off the bowl game. Oh, they 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 did they did great. They, they did, did great. They did. Hats off to them. You know who else did great? Arizona. They beat Oklahoma thirty eight to twenty four. And finish with their 10-win season. I'm not sure when their last 10-win season was, but my guess it was quite some time as Arizona, you know, mostly known for their basketball operations, not their football. Well, they just may have become a football school because guess what? Noah Fafita, their starting quarterback who finished the year with 2,800-plus yards, 25 touchdowns, only six interceptions, and a QBR of 83.8, good for seventh in the country. He's a freshman. The kid is a freshman, a three-star recruit, might I add. So if unless a bigger school swoops in and says, hey, here's $2 million, Arizona has got their future It's pretty darn secured with Fafita. And my goodness, they're off to the Big 12 in style with that win. Pretty impressive, all things considered, for Arizona. And again, Pac-12 looking good. Speaking of Pac-12, USC. They throttled Louisville. 42 to 28 in the Holiday Bowl and their backup, their backup Garrett. I mean, he was impressive as all get out. Six touchdown passes to his name and his name. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got to dig it out. I've got to dig it out. Uh, Who was it? Miller Moss. Miller Moss. Going to be a household name better than Caleb Williams. Am I right? Some are saying. Some are saying uh, USC wins 42 to 28 Miller Moss, 23 of 33, 372 yards, six touchdowns. 
Uh, Garrett, I know you and I both thought that Louisville was slightly overrated, but I don't know that I saw that coming. Yeah, I thought, I mean, just on face value, I think a lot of people were just, you know, USC's defense was awful all season. Caleb Williams was, uh, you know, just carrying them to a seven and five season. We, I expected Louisville to win this game. Yeah. Um, I just, I thought they would have more, uh, they'd be more full strength, more motivated, but, uh, yeah, Miller Moss came out and had other plans. 372, six touchdowns. Um, yeah. Monster game for him. So, uh, yeah, good. Uh, good coming out for our party for him. That's one, that's one bright spot. I will say about players opting out in bowl games is it gives young guys, uh, that may not have had a chance in the regular season, but fans are going to have now fans are going to have something to look forward to next year. When a, a, a young player like Miller Moss comes out and has a game like this, right? Uh, it gives them opportunities, um, to show what they've got in a game that doesn't really matter. Um, and get that out of the way going into the next season. So, um, yeah, a lone bright spot in all this. So, um, yeah, happy for, uh, happy for Miller. Yeah. Well, Here's maybe not a bright spot as a game that would have been great had Oregon State been, uh, you know, kept their program together and it not collapse in on itself. Notre Dame gets the win 40-8 to in the Sun Bowl. And I mean, Garrett, you and I saw this coming. It, it just, Notre Dame was pretty, pretty full strength. They had a lot of their guys there. Um, you know, maybe not some of the big starters like uh, they're, at the quarterback position, rushing position, you know, the running back position, you know, they, they had some guys sitting out for sure, but by and large, a lot of Notre, their studs on defense were still there. And I mean, it showed so 40 to eight, kind of a dumpster fire of a game. We saw that coming. Um, certainly a little bit of bad taste in the Oregon state fans mouth at all things considered just kind of, I feel bad for Beavers fans. I mean, they were a team that was, it could have upset, Washington, uh, it, they had a pretty good seat. Three of their losses came by less than seven points. That That's how close and competitive Oregon State was all season. And then they get to end with their coach leaving, an Oregon State alum who had turned the program around. He leaves for Michigan State. Two of their, star, the, their quarterbacks leave, and then they mm-hmm. have this happen to Notre Dame. I, as a fellow Pac-2 fan, I sympathize with the Beaver fans. That was tough. Yeah, sad, sad note to go out on. But yeah, I mean, we expected it. They're a shell of what they were this season. Great season uh, for them, for sure. But um, just not even close to the same team that was running out there against Notre Dame. So yeah, disappointing, but, but expected. Disappointing, but expected. You and I both picked Ole Miss. Ole Miss gets the win over Penn State, 38-25. to And... Garrett, I mean, uh, this just this just kind of highlights it to me. The only teams Ole Miss had lost to all season was Alabama and Georgia. And yes, the Georgia loss was bad, but this is just a really good Ole Miss football team. And Penn State, I mean, that they had moments, but it just uh, I was not really impressed by Penn State. I mean, look at Drew Aller's numbers: nineteen to thirty nine. He was the guy we were we didn't trust, mm-hmm. and then that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we yeah we. We talked about it last week. We, I, mean, I just haven't trusted Drew Roller all season in big games. He has not shown up. Um, we said this was a good opportunity for him to get some momentum going um, against a, a decent defense and a game that didn't have as much pressure maybe as Michigan and Ohio State. But 
yeah, he just made so many questionable decisions and did not look great out there. Um, so, and then on the flip side, yeah, Ole Miss, great season. Uh, I've loved them all year. Um, I think Lane Kiffin's a great coach, and um, yeah, they're they're only getting better. And yeah, great, really solid game for Jackson Dart. Um, yeah, good, uh, really good win for Ole Miss, and a uh, little bit disappointing for for Penn State. Now you're. Yeah, not a good. It would have been a good opportunity to give a little bit of hope going into next season. Uh, you know, Michigan's going to be losing a lot of guys. Ohio State losing a lot of guys. They're they're not sure where they're going. Maybe you could build some momentum. Right. Um, but no, they did not look good. So they're gonna have to figure something out going into next season for sure. If they are actually going to have those expectations of winning the Big Ten. Yeah. Especially with all these new teams coming in, like Washington and Oregon, it's it's gonna be tough for them now. USC, UCLA, and to your point. Does Penn State look at the transfer portal for maybe another quarterback? I mean, Drew Aller, he's almost he's a sophomore this year, gonna be a junior next year. Do they do they lay it on him and say, Nope, he's still our guy? At the end of the day, we got a ten win season, or if they want to look yeah. to beat Penn State or Ohio State, I mean uh Ohio State or Michigan, do they look at the portal? Yeah, I haven't seen anything from them on that. I, my assumption was this just that they're gonna stick with Drew Aller. Um, I mean, he, we talked about it before. I think he was like, uh, the number one or number two recruit quarterback in his class. Yeah. And thing is he, he's puts up decent numbers, uh, as a, for the season as a whole. I mean, this season he had 25 touchdowns to just two interceptions. Right. I mean, that's pretty, pretty solid. Um, and you know, their defense was good enough for them to win games. Again, they're only, you know, they're, we talk about Ole Miss only having two losses to great teams. They only lost to Ohio state and Michigan and those were single digits. So, right. Um, you know, I think that in the non big games, he put up okay numbers. Um, but against Ohio state and Michigan, he just looked really mediocre and against Ole Miss again. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely questions there and whether or not he's the guy, if they want to compete against these big teams, but I feel like he did enough in those um in the rest of their games that he they're not pressing the panic button thinking we need a quarterback. I think he probably did just enough for them to have be like, okay, yeah, we'll give Drew Aller another chance. Right. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I just haven't seen much out of them in, in terms of transfers. So I, again, I'm just assuming that they're gonna stick with Drew Aller. Um but I mean, he's got the talents obviously there. Uh, right. So, you know, maybe he can maybe he can improve year three. That's usually you know uh, a quarterback's best season is going to be as a junior. So we'll see. He's got a lot of experience. Maybe maybe he can turn it around. Right, and we shall see. Garrett, do you want to say anything about the Oregon and Liberty game? Oregon wins forty-five-six. Uh, I mean. For the first uh, couple drives, I was ecstatic. I thought we were, <laughs> I thought we had a chance. Uh, I mean, we drove down on our first drive, marched out right down the field, scored on a beautiful pass play. The offense looked, I mean, they looked great. Kate right. Salter was just firing at all cylinders. And then they put 45 straight on us and that was it. <laughs> right. I mean, we 
we scored and then we missed the extra point and it was all downhill from there. So yeah, I don't know. We scored a 75 yard drive and then we were able to hold them to a field goal in their next drive. We had a big defensive mm-hmm. stop and I was like, man, we, we look great. But yeah, after that, the offense just stalled and I was expecting our defense to struggle. Um, you know, Oregon is was similar to Georgia and that they didn't have a ton of players sitting out. Troy Franklin uh sat out. That was their big one. But I mean, guys like Bo Nix played, obviously, and um, you know, they 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 played pretty motivated and you know, wanting to go out on a win. And so yeah, I, I expected our defense to struggle a bit. I didn't really think we could slow them down, but I expected more out of our offense. We we moved the ball somewhat well. Um put up around 300 yards of offense but yeah we just we kept stalling out in drives and then um two turnovers i will say right before the half we were uh we were driving down the field made a couple nice plays at that point it was uh it was 24 to 6 and we had a chance to cut it to 24 to 13 but if we had scored mm-hmm. uh we got down to the Oregon 34 we were driving a minute left and then Salter threw a pass to a running back out in the flat, hit him right in the hands and he dropped it, but it bounced up and then they picked it off. And I, I'll say that was not a pick. That was ridiculous. The ball hit the ground and bobbed and moved and then they still gave it to him. So I'm not saying we got robbed. Uh, you know, we lost 45 to six, but that was a little disappointing, but right. I digress. We got smacked. And it was disappointing, but I did expect to lose. So <laughs> right, not right. too upset about it. Though I will say I am a little disappointed because now Caden Salter's entered the transfer portal, like I said earlier. So hmm. not sure what Liberty's going to do next year for quarterback, but right. uh, hopefully there's some some decent guys out there in the transfer portal still we can get. But maybe, maybe they could get Drew. Uh, Allard. That's a conversation for the off season. Drew Aller. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, redemption. Uh, I'd take him. But I don't think he's going anywhere. So yeah, no, no, we'll understandable. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the games you've all been waiting for: our in-depth coverage and reaction to the college football playoff. And this is what it sounded like. Here we go. No more timeouts to take here. Game on the line. It's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff. Texas trailing all night long. One last chance to advance to the national championship game. Ewers loves it up and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff. So, Garrett, I mean, those games right there were probably two of the best college football games that I've watched in some time. I, I mean, I uh, this year even, I can't remember a game that was as, as close or as exciting as with these two, except maybe, you know, some of the, like the, some of the rivalry games were pretty intense. Uh, the Husky Oregon State game was an interesting battle to watch. You know, the, the Husky Oregon game, both of them were pretty darn impressive games to watch. 
the SEC championship. I mean, there were a handful of games throughout the year, but man, these with the pageantry of the Rose Bowl and then Washington and Te- almost blowing it against Texas in the Sugar Bowl, these were just some of the best games I've seen in some time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just the stakes, obviously, being in the playoffs, like you said, uh, the pageantry of the Rose Bowl, um, it, it lived up to expectations. And that's um, something that the playoffs have been lacking, the semifinals games. Right. Uh, it, outside of 2018, that's the, really the only uh, leading in, coming into this playoffs. That's the only year that we've had two great semifinal matchups where the entire playoffs was were great games. It, it seems like every year, at least at least one, if not both, of the semifinals are just just blowouts, right? Um, or just not blowouts or not exciting matchups. Um, but yeah, this year was you know coming into it had highest expectations. Everyone was loved the matchups. I thought they were just perfect, even the way they were seated. Mm-hmm. I think Alabama, Michigan. Texas Washington was the best matchups we could have gotten and they lived up to expectations. Um, yeah, I, I think this is definitely the best, best set of semifinals we've had. And, uh, yeah, some of the best games of the year. Uh, so yeah, very, very exciting. Well, let's jump in first to the Rose bowl. And I mean this, what, what more could you ask for? It's the Rose bowl, the overhead shot before the game kicked off. I mean, half of it maize and blue, Half of it, the Crimson Tide, just beautiful setting. And then two of the winningest programs in college football. I was texting with a a friend of mine who's an Alabama fan after the game, and I said, you know, sorry for your loss, go blue. And he he texted Mm -hmm. back and said, hey, I'm happy for him. (laughs) It's got to be lonely to have all those wins with so few championships. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) the point being, there's just a lot of history between these two programs and man did Michigan live up to the billing they at times Garrett like Michigan looked more athletic than Alabama they were faster to the ball they were physical they were dominant and they made Jalen Jalen Milrow look pedestrian 16 to 23 116 yards but to your point Milrow also had moments of excellence in his own right where his uh, excellence on the ground really paid dividends. But, yeah, what's your overall reaction to this game as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it was really a tale of two halves. I thought Michigan in the first half, um, they, they won the first half. They dominated that half. Alabama, I think, dominated the second half. Uh, but it really went as we expected. We talked about it a little bit last week that no, neither one of these teams was going to blow the other out. Just the way they're built, they're both built very defensively. They like to run the ball on offense. Neither one has really explosive offenses. They're going to run up the score. Um, and so, yeah, we knew it was going to be a close game no matter what happened. So, you know, we say, I say Michigan dominated the first half, um, but it never really got, the game never got out of hand for either team. Right. Um, it, it stayed a one, sto- one score game pretty consistently throughout the whole game. So, um but yeah, I thought Michigan after the first half was in a really good spot. They were moving the ball really well. They were playing incredible defense. I mean, Jalen Milrow in that first half, uh, just, I mean, he was getting sacked as soon as he got the snap. Um, I think what five sacks in the first half, something mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, and they, they just, they could not move the ball. 
Um, McCarthy looked really solid. Uh, I was impressed with him. I thought this was the best game he's played all year. Um, just given the competition level, right. Um, they asked him to do a lot more in this game than they have previously. Uh, you talk about the Ohio state, uh, and Penn state games being the two toughest tests coming into it. And they pretty much committed to the, just, you know, we're going to run the ball, uh, the entire game. And, you know, McCarthy's going to have to make a play every now and then, but in this game, he threw 27 times. Um, and I thought he made some really big plays when it mattered most. Um, so yeah, I was impressed with McCarthy. Uh, the second half, you know, Alabama stormed back. I, you know, the defense stepped up. It was Michigan who couldn't move the ball. Um, and I thought, you know, Milrow, he didn't put up crazy numbers. Um, but you know, he made some timely scrambles when they needed it. Uh, when their drives were stalling out, he would scramble, uh, pick up the first down and, yeah, they just, they made just enough plays to um to get out to a lead and I thought, you know, once they got out to that lead, they scored with about 4 minutes left to they kicked the field goal to go up by 7 and with the way Michigan had been moving the ball in the second half, I thought the game was over. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I didn't think they had the ability to come back. I mean, um you know, they they scored thir- they got to 13 just before the uh the halftime right and they had not done a single thing the rest of the game and i thought i just i thought they're not going to be able to do it but uh i was proven wrong i've been downing michigan uh multiple times this season and i doubted mccarthy a lot i've never trusted him but i mean when it matters most all season he just steps up and makes big plays um that that huge pass to Roman Wilson to set them up down uh, inside the five. That was, uh, I mean, that was a crazy play right. and um, really the difference maker. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm impressed with Michigan. Um, I think that Milro showed some of the limitations of, you know, not being enough, a great passer. I think that hurt him, obviously. And, um, you know, I, at the end of the day, there was not much separating these two. And when it came to overtime, um, Michigan was just tougher in the trenches. That last run for Blake Corum was really impressive. And Alabama was just not able, you know, the Michigan defense stepped up. Uh, and, you know, you saw it on that last play. They got no push, or the, the Alabama offensive line got no push. And questionable play call. We talked about it, that, that final fourth down play in overtime. Uh, I don't know why he just ran up the middle. It seemed like they had a designed play to maybe pass it out to the screen, uh, a screen to the left side to the running back who was going in motion. That looked open, um, but I think the low snap kind of threw him off rhythm, and he just thought, I'm running this thing. Right. Uh, and obviously it didn't work out. But um, I mean, I think, yeah, like I said, it was a great game. Uh, both teams played to their strengths, and there just wasn't much separating them. It came down to one final play and Michigan's defense stepped up like they have all season. So, right. Um, yeah, hats off to them. They, I think they, you know, as people want to doubt the, the big 10 and a cupcake schedule. Um, I think Michigan's easily solidified as, uh, you know, and they, they got the monkey off their back, you know, back to back seasons coming into this of losing in the, losing in the semifinals. Three straight. They couldn't do it. Yeah. And so, they just, uh, it's a big win for the program. 
uh, regardless of what happens this next this next game. Um, yeah, huge win for them. Huge win indeed. And yeah, I guess my reaction to the whole thing was just I I'm very impressed with the resilience of Michigan because I picked Michigan in this game and you know not confidently so I thought it was going to be a toss-up but Michigan would have the advantage but once the second half got going and Michigan's offense was not able to run the ball effectively defensively they weren't able to stop Jalen Milrose running out of the pocket I was I was genuinely worried in Alabama they jump out and put 10 points on Michigan in the second half and I uh, that third quarter, it was a battle of field position. Uh, the whole time, though, yeah. Michigan would just go three and out, but Alabama would slowly push their way down the field and then punt it, pin Michigan deep. Michigan would have to punt it. Alabama would get to start close to ha- to midfield. And in the fourth quarter, they capitalized on it, jumping up and leading uh, at 22-13 by the uh, beginning of the fourth quarter. So Michigan really was in a bad spot. And then... They had that they Michigan is fortunate enough to tie it, but then they almost end the game or caught lose the game at the with that muffed punt in the fourth quarter where they were fortunate enough to recover it at the one yard line, carve out just enough space to get get room uh, before before the fourth quarter ends. So could you play from that return man to to recover that and have the wherewithal because i feel like a lot of guys might have panicked and tried to make something happen right and like just gone deeper into the end zone but that guy he was like i'm just gonna take this hit and get to the one and yeah yeah or just like just the wherewithal to even like grab the ball in that situation within a split second is uh saved the game for them so oh could you get on him I, I totally got michigan state versus michigan vibes on that one where michigan's punter fumbled the snap and that was just the meme oh michigan i thought you guys were back but could you imagine (laughs) if michigan lost the game on that muffed punt and it went into the end zone for a safety or or for a touchdown or something like that that just unbelievable that would have been brutal iconic but brutal iconic yeah harbaugh probably would have been gone to the nfl and that would be his legacy at michigan three straight failures at the semifinals ending with bama running the ball in off of a muffed punt just just unbelievable so like you said hats off to him for having the wherewithal to get out to the one yard line michigan's special teams all day let them down they had a muffed punt that set up the initial touchdown the first touchdown of the game for alabama right out of the gate and they had a missed field goal and they also had that muff punt right before the end of the game uh, of regulation. That is so. Um, yeah, the resilience of Michigan has been just the storyline of the season. Ultimately, they've had mm-hmm. to deal with these allegations all season, the reports of cheating within the program, f- coaches being fired numerous times, uh, a coach for off the field conduct being fired. Just, just really a rough PR year when it comes to that. Everybody hates Michigan. Everybody thinks they're a bunch of cheaters. Every time they go into yep. a road game, it's you're going to get the other team's best shot. The Ohio State game was a mini Super Bowl that they had to win, and coming into face, you're coming into face college football's greatest coach, arguably, and Nick Saban. 
and they got it done. So to me, just the overall storyline that was encompassing this game was incredible. And then J.J. McCarthy, he, he was I said in my prediction, he's going to have to make big-time throws if they want a chance to win this game. And ultimately, he did. Like that backwards pass to where they threw it to him, and he caught it with one hand just to get it to Roman Wilson for a first-down conversion. Even though it was only a first-down conversion, I mean, that, that could have been a fumble if he didn't catch that. And Dallas Clark chasing him down, and he was able to get rid of it on just this crazy trick play. Just things like that mm-hmm. Michigan has succeeded yep. in. And it's just a testament to the players on the field, the veteran leadership. I mean, this team is full of veterans. And at the end of the day, I guess what I was most surprised by was just their just how physical and physically dominant they were to an SEC opponent and a, a team you you t- you also brought this up in your prediction with uh, with this game how Alabama had way more five-star talent than Michigan did and yeah. this is just a case of Michigan doing more with less so hats off to the coaching staff there for just developing this program the way it has and it, this is this is a team full of seniors and veteran players who know what they're doing and aren't shaken by the moment and it showed yeah yeah the resilience because um you know this is a a spot that they hadn't been in really all season trailing in late right and uh you know they've been questioned for their offense like you said mccarthy um i i didn't think that if they got into this position i didn't think they had it in them to come back uh especially you know a late game putting a drive together to win uh I would think that's the last place I would want to be for them. And yeah, I mean, just the way that it worked out when they, like you said, punt, punt, punt to start the second half. Right. And then they finally catch a break. Bama fumbles it in their own territory. And then they still can't move the ball and they have to settle for a field goal and they missed the field goal. And it was like, okay, they're, they're just done for. And yeah, to come back in that situation um, where they just, they haven't been all season. And I didn't think they could do it, and they did. So, yeah, great, um, great resiliency from uh, from Michigan, and um, yeah, yeah, really impressive. Very impressive indeed. And there's another game we got to talk to before we talk about Michigan some more, and that is Washington versus Texas. Garrett, this was. Ultimately, within the final 10 minutes, to me, this was going to be kind of an anticlimactic game. But you know what the Huskies mm-hmm. do. They just can't win a game by more than one score. They just refuse to. Of course. And of course. that's exactly what we got last night as Washington was able to hang on to the win 37-31. to 31. But my goodness, there were, there were moments where I thought they were going to blow it. Yeah. I, um. I mean, this game lived up to expectations. It was a shootout, uh, 21-21 at halftime. Um, And we talked a little bit about how uh, last week um, I mentioned that I I really like the way that Washington matches up with Texas. Yeah. Um, The strength of this Texas, we we knew that their secondary had struggled. And obviously the passing game from Washington is their strong suit. So that was a big mismatch that they're in a Washington have to take advantage of, but the strength of Texas was that, that defensive front, right. Their ability to stop the run. And, you know, I, I, but I think people weren't really, uh, 
talking enough about how great this Washington offensive line is. I mean, Texas could not get any pressure on Michael Penix. That first half, he just sat back and did whatever he wanted. Um, the offensive line held up great. He was able to sit back, let routes develop downfield, hit the big plays they needed to, and just really they they were allowed to just play to their strengths the entire game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that first half, I was feeling very confident in Washington's ability to win this game. And, you know, they got out to a lead. Uh, like you said, they got up to, uh, I think, a 13-point lead um, mm-hmm. deep in the second half. And I, I thought they they really had it. Th- then they started doing um, – I was a little questionable play calling, in my opinion. Uh, they got out to a 34-21 lead. Um, Texas started driving a little bit. Then they fumbled it. And I thought, okay, Washington is going to put a drive, a long, nice drive together, put some points on the board. This game is going to be done. Right. And then they, they, they four straight plays through incomplete passes and had to punt it back, took no time off. And then after that, Texas marched down and uh, was able to score on their next two drives and turn this into a, a really quick, really tight game obviously at the end came down to last play forced chances in the in the red zone but right um yeah i didn't know about that i thought they should have you know on that one drive maybe tried to get the run the run game they they didn't run the ball a ton tonight uh we talked about that in the preview last last week that uh they needed to get the ground game going um but luckily for them the pass game was just it was wide open all game right they 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 for, they faced no pushback on it um, so maybe they just thought, Hey, why even bother running it to take time off the clock? Um, the past game's working so well, it's basically working as well. I mean, the, he, he, before that drive, he had thrown like what, three or four incompletions all game. Um, mm-hmm. they probably just thought they could move it with ease, but the Texas defense stepped up and, uh, uh, finally got a stop and then, um, was able to put two scoring drives together to make it interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, I thought Washington, the score was close, but I think Washington really proved that they were a much better team this game. I think the offensive line was the key, giving Penix all the time in the world to make the deep shots. Right. And uh, we talked about Jalen Polk stepping up. He was quiet towards the end of the season, but he came out immediately and had a huge impact with like a 77-yard completion um, on the first drive. And yeah, the receiver stepped up big. Uh, Dunze was great as always. and. Yeah, I think the defense played really well as well. Um, gave up 31, but uh, for most of that game, they were they were really, really tough, um, especially in the past game. Uh, they were able to get great pressure, and um, yeah, I think I think Washington just proved a lot with this win, and yeah, I, I'm happy for them. Um, you know, you talked about the talent disparity with Alabama and Michigan. Uh, I mean, Washington has no five stars on their squad right. uh, and maybe half the four stars to someone like Texas does. So, um, yeah, just I think it was at the end of the day, it was brilliance for Michael Penix, a great offensive line and Kalen DeBoer coached a, a fantastic game. So, yeah, hats off to Washington for this one. I think they proved that they were they were legit and a, a very deserving of being a, the two seed. Yeah, I throughout the game just never got the sense honestly like so even though the first half was 21 to 21 I really just kind of felt like the Huskies did what they wanted in that first half yeah and and even though Texas was tied and they had moments where the where I thought oh man 
they just ran over the Huskies there. You know, I, I just didn't trust Texas, even 21-21. Um, and honestly, yeah. that's, that's probably my biggest critique of this game has to be the play calling on Texas's side. You know, Steve Sarkeesian is heralded as such a great offensive mind, and he is. You know, I, I want to give him credit there. But I think he should have stuck to the ground game more. That's just mm-hmm. that's just my take on this. I mean, Texas, they had two ball that three ball carriers with nine, nine, and eight carriers res- carries respectively, and they all rushed for 64, 59, and 54 respectively. So uh, basically seven yards a carry, basically. Each. Yeah. I mean, Texas's offensive line to me seemed more ready to dominate in the run, take time off the clock, keep the ball away from Michael Penix. And maybe we're talking about a different ball game here. Also take a lot of pressure off of Quinn Ewers, who was 24 of 43 on the day, very up and down. And got to give credit. I have to give credit to the Washington pass rush there as well, because usually, you know, the, the Husky defense statistically not great, but Braylon Trice, I mean, that guy's an NFL stud right there. Four tackles by himself, two sacks, huge sacks in the backfield. He was pressuring Ewers all day, and the Huskies, I think, did a much better job of getting pressure on mm-hmm. on uh, Ewers as opposed to Texas getting That's pressure fine. on Penix. And this is the Texas defensive front that we, you and I have talked up a lot, and, of course, the rest of the country did. But I think Texas's pressure comes from the middle. They're two amazing defensive tackles as opposed to their outside guys. I mean, they had Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy in the middle, and those guys are great, and you're not going to get much running room against them. But who else do they have getting pressure on the outside? I couldn't tell. I couldn't name one, honestly. Penix pretty much did whatever he wanted. 29-38 for 430 and two touchdowns. No picks. And... Looking at the Huskies' rushing attack, Dylan Johnson, who, by the way, got hurt towards the end of the game, and he he was in a lot of pain, which will definitely play a part in, I'm sure, the championship game. He was 21 of 49 for 2.3 yards per carry. So Texas did the job that they wanted to, stopping the run. They were consistent there. But they just needed to amp up the pressure on Michael Penix, I think, and just force the issue a little bit more. Now, Penix still could have made the big plays even with that extra pressure. But, uh, yeah, I just I guess I questioned some of the play calling on Texas' side. And then as the game went on, you know, the Huskies that let Texas back into the game, just some key errors towards the end of that game, where especially the kick-catching interference. What the heck was that? Like, just yeah, stay away from him. Oh my goodness, that was frustrating. And I wasn't even necessarily rooting for the Huskies. I was just, well, what are you doing? And then Texas drives the length. They get the length of the field. They have an amazing catch to Jordan Whittington. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Texas is going to win this. They have plenty of time. Yeah. But the clock management has to come into question here too. Like what, what kind of, I texted you as soon as the, that pass play happened where they were at, I think within the 30 yard line or maybe it was the 20 yard line and they run yeah, this. That was, um, let me see. That was, uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, I think that was from the 12. That was their first and 10 play when they got it down there. That was the first down, the 12, uh, when they got it close with 15 seconds left, you throw a little jet sweep to your running back out of the backfield. 
that costs five for seconds. one yard loss. Yeah, five seconds off the clock too. What was that? I mean, I I would be inclined to believe that that was just Quinn Ewers making that call as opposed to Sarkeesian saying, hey, I want you to throw this to the running back here. But at the same time, Ewers looked pretty confident in what he wanted to do there. Like, it seemed as yeah, though it was it seemed a, designed. Yeah, I'm just like, what? And if I'm, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't have a timeout at that point. Like, no. if he got tackled in bounds, the game was over. Yeah, and the, the broadcasters mentioned that. He very well that. could have. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. the, the, the the broadcasters on the call mentioned that and said, boy, that was risky. What if he got tackled in bounds there? It's over. So yeah. just not sure what the call was with regards to once they got down to the 12-yard line. I mean, this Texas team, the, the Huskies are not exactly elite in the secondary. I mean, you've got guys like Jatavian Sanders, Jordan Whittington, Jaden Blue, Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell or Adani Mitchell, however you pronounce that. And you can't design better pass plays than that. I'm sorry. I just questioned the. It, it looked like they didn't know what they wanted to do there. So I, mm. I think I texted you after this as well. Washington definitely deserved this win, and I'm happy they're moving on. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Washington, I think, was the better team and definitely deserving of the win. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with what you were saying earlier about the the play calling for Texas all game. Um, I mean. There are two running backs, Baxter and Blue. Uh, you know, Ewers had eight scrambles, but they only handed the ball off to them 18 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, and, and it was working, seven yards of carry basically between them. And I, I just don't know why they didn't run it. He, Sarkeesian mentioned afterwards, they asked him about it. Um, and he talked about how they just, they got thrown off their rhythm with, uh, you know, how prolific the Washington offense was. Right. Um, they kind of got, you know, maybe panicked a little bit start forcing things through the air, trying to keep up. And, um, you know, that's, that's not where they want to be, especially against Washington. Uh, cause then you're relying on someone like Quinn Ewers, who's been up and down his whole career to, to be consistent and, right. and just put the ball in his hands for entire drives. It's just not the way they want to play. They need to be running the ball. So I think just a little bit of a, a little bit more discipline, maybe sticking to the run game, even if you get down one or two scores and just, you know, trusting that, you know, maybe your defense can get a stop when it matters, and that would have been the way to go. But um, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, right. Um, yeah, definitely not Quinn Ewers' best game. Uh, he struggled a little bit. Pretty errant passes. Um, I, I minor thing, but that uh, on that final four plays, uh, he had the one. I think it was the very last, the fourth down play, where he he kind of held it a while mm-hmm. and lobbed it in towards the sideline. If you look, if you watch that play back, the the receiver when he initially goes into the end zone and then comes back towards the sideline, he had three or four yards of space right. uh, with the defender. If he, I mean, if he can, if he th- that that defender was not pressed up on him, he was playing way back. If uh, if Ewers just throws kind of a dart towards the sideline, puts some heat on it, that receiver had plenty of, of space to get the ball. Uh, without the defender being able to break it up, but because he lobbed it and threw it over there and I get it's Adonai Mitchell and he made a great, you know, jump ball play earlier. I do think that was probably the, the best design play is just throw a jump ball up to their receivers. Right. Um, but I think if he had recognized the coverage a little bit, he could have seen, you know, they're playing way off and I can just laser this thing in there and it's an easy completion, but that, that's just a minor detail. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they, you know, like I said, I think that there's a lot that went into this loss, and Washington was very much the better team. But 
Um, yeah, I just think Washington played really, really well, proved that they're a more balanced team as right. well. Um, the defense really stepped up and played a huge role. So, um, yeah, I, I think they proved a lot that, uh, you know, they, they were kind of, I think, the underdog coming into this, you know, going against uh, such high-profile programs and they've kind of being the odd one out. I think that they prove that they're not going to be, you know, bullied by anyone. Right. And uh, I, I like their, I like their odds going into next week's game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we talk about that really quick, I just want to, uh, we're talking about Texas here and Texas, I think is set up very nicely going forward. Was this a case this season of Texas, maybe arriving just a little ahead of their time? Like, are we just seeing kind of the the precipice of potential greatness here with Texas? I, I had a buddy text me about that, and I kind of thought about it and thought, well, on the one hand, I think this Texas team is legit. I mean, they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, so they're legit on that sense. But then in other times, like especially during this Husky game, I kind of thought, man, their their weaknesses are being pretty exposed right now, and they still only lost by six points at the end of the day, so I'm not trying to read too much into this, but... You know, is this is this kind of a case of man? If this were any other year, maybe Texas gets it, as opposed to Washington taking the win here. Uh, I think potentially, yeah. I think that Texas. Um, I think they're set up fine going into the next year. Um, you know, they had a really talented team this year, and you know, like you said, a huge win at Alabama. Um, they were a little bit up and down throughout the season, lost that lost Oklahoma, obviously, but, um, I still think they're a really solid team. They're going to lose a lot, but they're reloading a lot. They've had a top three class the last two years. Um, big transfers coming in next year. I think they're still set up for long-term success. And I think that this is a spot that we'll see them in and they'll get more opportunities. Uh, you know, potentially another year of Quinn Ewers. Uh, I think he can only, he's only going to improve. Obviously he was a little, he's, he's been up and down a lot and we mentioned that he was not great this season, but, uh, or in this game against Washington, but yeah, I, I'm not worried about Texas, um, in terms of this being like uh, a fluke or this is gonna be the best that the best year that they're going to have. And it's going to go right. back to, they're going to go back down and take a dip next year. I think they'll, I think they'll be fine and they'll be set up to be a perennial contender now. Yeah, just looking at the recruiting rankings for Texas next year, they are number three up there with Georgia and Alabama, and that's a pretty good place to be. Four, five stars, 16, four stars. And ultimately, I think, yeah, if there were just a couple of key pieces here and there for Michigan, like a, probably a couple of edge rushers that are just more on that level as, say, Byron Murphy and Sweat, then maybe we're having a different conversation where Penix just wouldn't have had any time and, you know, maybe that covers up some of the weaknesses that Texas had in the secondary. But uh, I digress. It's going to be interesting to see where Sarkeesian can take that program and where they go from here, especially as they enter the SEC. But Washington moves on, Michigan moves on, and they will meet this coming Monday, January 8th. And boy, am I excited for this matchup, Garrett. I figure what we'll do, I'll give my initial thoughts on this matchup. You give yours. And then we make our predictions. We game. Sounds good to me. So as I look at this Michigan versus Washington game, I first off, I'm just excited to me. This is just kind of another 
a interesting matchup of two different play styles. On the one hand, you've got Michigan, who has the, probably the best defense in the country, and also just very dominant on both trenches. Offensive and defensive lines are both elite. And they're also going to try to run the ball if they can and slow the clock down, which to me is an excellent plan, especially going up against the likes of Michael Penix and the, his elite receivers. To me, if I'm Michigan, I want to keep the ball away from them as long as I can and just melt as much clock away as I can. An ideal Michigan drive in this game to me would be, you know, they're pushing 10 to 15 plays and they take five minutes off the clock or more, and then they punch it in the end zone, give the ball back to Washington, who then has to go all the way down the field against just this grueling defense, who rarely has been beaten over the top, might I add. They've been very disciplined all season, and I think there was some crazy stat somewhere that similar to Ohio State, they hadn't given up a play of over 20 yards like for weeks and weeks. So this is a Michigan secondary and team that is incredibly disciplined, follows their assignments, and kind of, you know, the, the Nick Saban called the Michigan defense like a Baltimore Ravens defense. That's very true in my mind. You know, a shout-out to John Harbaugh, his brother, who's coach of the Ravens. Um, I, that I just very, I very much get that comparison. On the other hand, with Washington, I don't think Michigan has seen – in offense like they're about to see here with the Huskies and Michael Penix and this Husky team and this coaching staff with Kalen DeBoer who won coach of the year has shown all season that if you you know people are going to pick against them they're going to disrespect them they don't think that they're the real deal and they just seem to always show up and answer the bell and on top of that the Huskies have proven all season that they can win in crunch time they can win in games where it's close and it's a tight contest. That That's obviously not going to get to them. Whereas with Michigan, yeah, you know they did it against Alabama, which was a great test and probably much needed. But they're probably not as comfortable as they are as the Huskies are, given that that's where they live. I, this is the longest streak in college football history. Ten, what was it, ten straight weeks where they've, or was it, Maybe it was less than that. I digress. But the Huskies have won college football games by seven points or less for an insane streak, a college football record. So interesting kind of setup here. Um, I don't know, Garrett. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think um, I, I agree with what you're saying. For Michigan's offense, their game plan has to be to just keep the ball on the ground. Um, I think that's what Texas should have done. We talked about that. Right. Uh, but we, Michigan's shown that they do not mind, you know, letting McCarthy throw it less than 10 times. We saw it against Penn State. Right. And Penn State had the best run defense in the country this year, and they did not care. They just ran it every single play over and over again, and it worked. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Um, you know, it's it's the strength of their team, but also it keeps Penix off the field. So I think that that's probably the best bet for them is to just uh, keep the ball on the ground, take time off the clock. And, um, you know, Texas had some success with it. Again, the efficiency when they did run it was great. So I think that's probably where they're going to go. We've seen Oregon have success running the ball against Washington. Um, 
I think that's going to be the biggest problem Washington's going to deal with is stopping the run. And obviously against Michigan, that's everyone's biggest problem. But um, I think that, you know, if I had to, I, I think Michigan wins that matchup. I think they're going to have a lot of success. And so that's going to put a lot of pressure on Penix and the offense to be efficient. And, uh, you know, the drives matter. Uh, they're not going to get right. as many as they did against Texas. And that's going to be, I think that's just the most exciting matchup is Washington's offense versus this Michigan defense. And I don't know who has the edge. I was really, really impressed with Washington's offensive line. Um, mm. I mean, they just, they looked great against Texas, but I think Michigan's going to be even tougher. Uh, we saw what they did to the Alabama offensive line, five sacks in the first half. Right. Uh, this Washington offensive line is going to have to hold up uh, much better if they want to have any chance in this game. And um, another matchup I really am excited to look forward to is uh, Roma Dunze versus Will Johnson. Will Johnson mm. has been locked down all season. He's a big physical corner, 6'2". Uh, it's going to be really, really tough matchup for Dunze. And yeah, I, I just, I don't know. This Michigan defense is just so solid. The pass rush is amazing. The run stopping is amazing. Uh, and then you've got guys like Will Johnson in the secondary. It's going to be tough. Um, but I think that's going to be where the game is won is going to be the Michigan defensive line versus Washington offensive line. Mm. I think if the O-line can hold up, then, you know, I've doubted Washington both times against Oregon. Um, and they really proved me wrong there. And then, you know, just seeing how well they held up against that Texas defense. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in Washington's offensive line. I think they're going to be able to hold up decently well. Um, but I think that's going to be the key matchup is how much pressure they can get on Penix. I think if they can get pressure on him, then I really like Michigan's odds. But if the O-line can hold up and Penix is able to sit back and, uh, you know, let the plays develop downfield and let his receivers work to get open, then I think it's going to be a really, really close game. But, um, yeah, that's that's uh, I think that's the big matchup is um, up front for Washington's offense. Yeah. And that's that's going to be. Man, such a, a fun thing to see. Just okay, which which side's gonna win out in this? Um, I think, you know, as we come to prediction time, I think an underrated storyline coming into this is gonna be the health of Dylan Johnson, uh, the Huskies running back right. who went down with you know, I it was funny during the during the replay, I honestly wasn't sure what happened to Johnson. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. but he, he reacted very strongly. Like he, you could hear him yelling or screaming in pain as they, you know, waited and uh, as they got him off the field. Um, so it certainly did not look good. He's also been hampered with injury pretty much ever since the USC game when he broke off for 250 plus yards rushing in that one. And he's just been a warrior all season long dealing with these injuries and it just seems as though it finally caught up to him on that last play so i think that that's a huge storyline going into this one if i mean even being hobbled against this michigan defense just does not sound good to me and yeah it's just to me who is going to win out 
like you said, in that matchup, if Penix does not have time to throw the ball, it's not going to be a fun time for him. And plus, I think when you've got athletes like Michigan does in the secondary and their linebackers are as disciplined as they are, they've got a rotation of three of them that are just pretty stout and can do the job well. Uh, I think that they're going to be able to bring more pressure than Texas did. And I think Texas should have brought more pressure to begin with. I mean, their secondary was already weak. They should have just sent it and seen what happened. In yeah. as I look at this matchup, and I've been a believer in the Huskies all season, but man, this is tough. I think I'm leaning towards Michigan in this one. I think Michigan is just set up to be a Washington kryptonite potentially in that their defense is going to make it harder on the Huskies than, you know, probably they've gone against in any defense this season. And offensively, I think they're built to attack a Washington weakness, which is running the football. If Michigan can control the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively, which I think they will, I've I've got to go with Michigan in this one, but I do think that the Huskies certainly have a chance. I mean, Michael Penix, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he just has another fantastic day. And I'm talking about a totally different storyline, you know, next week. And the Huskies are celebrating their second uh, program national championship. I could see that. So, um, but I just think Michigan's probably this is this is a Michigan type game where they're just going to force it into a grind. Huskies aren't going to touch the ball as much and they they run they run the heck out of the ball and Michigan picks up a win. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely as someone who I I very much would like to see Washington win this game. That definitely is the biggest concern I think for them is I I really struggle to see them stopping Michigan off uh I don't think they can stop the rushing attack. Um, I just, I just see Michigan, you know, picking up five, six yards every single time they run it. Um, right. They've been doing it all season. Doesn't matter who the opponent is, and I don't think Washington's going to be able to do anything differently than Ohio State or Penn State did. Um, but I, I don't know. I think. I think Washington's O-lines can be able to hold up well enough to give Penix time. And as good as their defense is, as good as their secondary is, it's all season long, even if there's no space, even if they're well covered, we saw even in the Texas game, saw against Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. These receivers are just so talented at going up and getting contested catches. Um, right. Right. Roma Dunze, even if the guy's blanketed on him deep downfield, the late hands to avoid break pass breakups. Um, he's just so technically sound. And I think that he doesn't, they don't even need to get space. Uh, they've got such a good connection that even when he's covered, uh, Penix is able to put the ball in the perfect spot for Penix to, or for, uh, for a Dunze or Polk, uh, McMillan, anyone to get it. Right. Um, He's got great safety blankets underneath with the tight ends. Um, I think I think Washington can do it. I think that, and I've, I could definitely see the Michigan defense 
especially their defensive line being too much. But I, from what the O line has shown me all season for Washington, mm-hmm. I I like their chances to be able to at least. I think they can do a better job than Alabama's offensive line can easily. Right. And even when Texas did get pressure, Penix just had such good pocket awareness to escape pressure and to get open and to where it didn't affect him. So I, I, I like, I like their chances of moving the ball. Um, and I just, I think if they can get the ball moving early, I think they can really put Michigan in a really tough spot. Like they haven't been able to, they haven't seen all season. Right. Uh, they, I mean, they have not faced a passing attack like this, this year. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that element of, um, just the explosiveness of Washington can be a real problem. Um, yeah, I think it's going to come down to the first, uh, the first two or three drives. If they're able to stifle the Washington offense and really set the tone, I like I like Michigan. Um, but if Washington's able to come out and put one or two scoring drives together early on, and suddenly I think that it's puts Michigan in a really yeah, if it's four or even if it even if it's, you know, 14, seven and Michigan's having to play catch up. Uh, but if Washington's offense is rolling, Michigan's going to really feel that pressure to think, man, can we really just keep running it and, and slowly grinding away? Are we going to be able to keep up? Um, and that, you know, they're going to get in situation. They might get into a situation where it's fourth down. Uh, they're back they're, you know, they're maybe on their own 30, 40 yard line. And they're thinking, man, can we really afford to punt the ball away? Are we going to, I mean, are we just like, they're going to be in tough spots if, if they can't stop them uh, early on. So I, I like Washington's chances and I think I'm going to have to pick them. Man. And I don't know. I don't you, you want to give a score prediction for this one. Ooh, see, I could see numerous. <laughs> like if, if it's, if this score is anywhere above the 28 point mark, it definitely favors Washington. But based on my prediction where Michigan wins, I'm going to have to go with something in the range of 24 to, uh, nah, no, no, no. Let's go 28 to 24. Michigan gets the win, puts the Huskies in real uncomfortable positions, forces a couple of turnovers. I think that before I jump to your score, that's that's another un. Um, another element to this game is which team makes less mistakes because in last week's game or yet last night's games both of these teams were the ones who were messing up like say in special teams Michigan had three errors that could have cost them the game and then Washington mm-hmm. they had some key errors down the stretch and an, unf- and, and an error where I mean not even an error where Dylan Johnson went down and stopped the clock and suddenly Texas has a chance I mean that that was just snake bit and stuff right there, um, and, and the Huskies just tend to keep teams close for whatever reason they do. Um, so I think which either of those teams makes less mistakes will ultimately come out on top, and I think Michigan's play style right. just is more controlled in that way, in theory at least, and that's what gets them the twenty eight twenty four win in this championship game. Yeah, I think um, one thing that gives me a little bit more confidence in Washington is it, even if this game uh, is is slow for them, Michigan's not going to be. I don't think Michigan can run up the score on them by any means. I think that you know at most they get out to a 
uh, a 14, maybe 17 point at the most lead. And, you know, I, I, Washington can come back from that. We've mm-hmm. seen them have to, you know, in crunch time, uh, when they need to put a drive together, they can do it. And their offense is so high powered that I think they're always going to have a chance in this game, even if they get down early. So I like their ability to come back a lot more than, than Michigan if they get down. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Obviously, I think the higher scoring it goes, the more it favors Washington. But um, I, th- I don't think I don't think Washington's be able to put up that many points on them. I still think that Michigan's defense is going to be able to get stops, and they're not going to make it as easy as Texas did. Right. Um, but I still think uh, I, I think it's if I had to give a score prediction, I'm going to go go. 28 to 20 Mm. Washington. I could see that. And to your point about Washington, they've shown the ability to uh, turn it into more of a grind game and say, okay, the offense obviously isn't really having its heyday at the moment. So let's just fight for field position. Let's just fight for possession. Be smart with the football. And they've shown the ability and capability to do that. Unlike other high-powered offenses that might be like, wait a second, we can't score. Right. Oh, my gosh. And then they implode, whereas the Huskies are yeah. so well-coached, they can settle into something and say, well, we're obviously not going to put up over 30, so let's be smart mm-hmm. with the ball, take we can get. Don't make a mistake. Right. And <clears throat> to have a guy like Penix who had a game like he did last night, not a bad deal. So I, I totally see picking the Huskies. I just – Yeah. I, and Yeah. yeah. Even if the offense, if it's a low scoring grinded out game, like you said, they've been there before the season and they've Mm -hmm. shown that they can adapt to any situation. And, and to be fair, so has Michigan, but I think Washington's done it against, uh, they've done that against tougher opponents. And, uh, I just don't think that Michigan's has been prepared for, uh, an offense that's explosive, especially through the passing game as Washington this year. I mean, uh, I don't know who the best offense that faced this year. But I mean, maybe Ohio you know, State. The yeah, I guess Ohio State. But I mean, talk about I mean their passing game. Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison are no comparison to right. Michael Penix and the array of weapons Washington has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're going to be able to throw a lot at them that they haven't seen. And um, yeah, I just I think Washington. Like I said, they just match up well with their how good their offensive line has been playing this year. Um, right, and right. then with obviously Penix and his weapons, I think, I just think that it's, it's the best offense that Michigan's going to see. And, uh, I like their chances. Yeah. I just, I favor a team that has such a high powered offense a little more. I trust them more in both situations, whether they get down or they get ahead. Um, I just, I would rather be the team with the great offense and the explosive offense that can make a play at any time. Right. Yeah. A very interesting matchup. Like we said, I mean, I ultimately why I picked Michigan is because I think, well, Texas was getting seven yards of carry and they hardly even ran the ball. So what happens if right. Michigan, a great running team, it's their whole identity just says, no, we're going to run it at you 25 to 30 times. And we got a great offensive line. We got Blake Corum. And then we've got a quarterback who, uh, as far as well-thrown passes, pass rating is concerned is one of the best in the country. And he's 25 and one in his tenure or 26 and one now in his tenure at Michigan, I I just, I don't know. I 
I could see the Wolverines just coming out and having control. But that's why we don't play these games on paper. And either way, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup and could see it going either way. Honestly, either way. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Well, Gary, uh, am I missing anything? Is there anything else we need to touch on? I don't think so. I think that's, uh, I think that's, I think that's everything. Well, folks, all I know is we've got a great championship game lined up this coming Monday and Garrett and I will obviously be here next week to discuss and react to the game. And we'll, we'll see what team comes out on top. So for my co-host Garrett Thigpen, I'm Garrison Hardy. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Oh, by the way, I always I always got to remember to say this. Follow us on so- social media. We got Facebook. We got Twitter. We are on Spotify. We're on Amazon. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on iTunes. Follow us there. Leave a five-star review. We appreciate your support. And now we will see you next week. Take care.